0: Well, good morning, One Church. What's up? Merry Christmas. My name is Carlo. I get to be the teaching pastor here. So glad that you are spending Christmas Eve with us. Like uh, Pastor Luther said, if you are not ready, uh, you might as well just go ahead and cancel it because it's too late for the game. Uh, Hope hope everything is ready. Hope you can leave here and rest and party and celebrate and have a great Christmas uh, tomorrow, Christmas Eve tonight. We're just glad that you're here. We're wrapping up our Oh What Fun series today. You know, 2017 was the year that many people wish they could give back. Uh, If you look at things that happened in the news, things that happened in our country, things that happened culturally just around the world, even today, more news of devastation and storms and loss of life and just so much negative happened that if we're not careful, we could go into 2018 kind of on a downward, kind of bummed out negative in our mind and in our spirit. And so we decided, let's finish our, our series for this year with a bang. Let's celebrate Christmas. Let's make a big deal about it. Instead of dreading this time of the year, let's celebrate all that this time of the year means. So last week, we looked at joy and we we understood, we learned that we can experience joy regardless of our circumstances. Many of us have had not the best week, but we know that in spite of what's going on around us, joy comes from the inside, comes from Jesus. So we can choose to celebrate instead of complaining. We can choose the light we can choose uh, to remember all the good things about life, about Jesus. And so, if you missed that message, go to onechurch.tv. You can catch up, listen to that later. Again, shout out to everyone who's here for the first time or first time in a long time watching online. We're glad that you are with us today. Today, we're going to talk about party stories, and we're going to be in Matthew and in Luke in the New Testament, and we'll get there in just a few. Do you have any crazy party stories, like crazy party stories? If I know onechurch.tv, I know the answer to that question is a resounding yes, right? Some of y'all had a crazy party last night, but that's none of my business. But I'm just saying, we're familiar with some crazy party stories. I remember when I was about 17, 18 years old, uh, hanging out with a friend of mine. Uh, his name was Mike. Mike was about 18. Uh, and Mike's dad had a lot of money. And so his dad let us use a lot of that money to hang out. And we had another friend and Billy, he was about uh, 15 at the time, 15, 16 at the time. And so, uh, we found ourselves with a lot of money and a lot of time in Pensacola, Florida, hanging out, uh, with nothing to do, but, uh, but Do what eighteen year olds do which is be crazy and spend money and be destructive uh, and so we had this hotel room uh that we had, and we we know we'd done all the stuff you know, made the noise, pulled all the pranks, and uh we got a little bit bored and we noticed there was a, a fireworks tent uh just up the road from us, and so we said well that would that would just be wrong of us to not go to the fireworks tent and spend some of this money and so went to the fireworks tent bought a bunch of stuff didn't know what we were going to do with it yet but we knew we were going to have some fun with it but you know it was still like the middle of the day and it was too we didn't want to wait till it got dark to shoot the fireworks off and so we figured well it's kind of dark in this room if we close the curtain uh, and so uh we, we were like wouldn't that be fun to like light some fireworks in the room and this is just me and mike talking right mike is about six foot six you know and i'm kind of my height now about six foot and billy's like four eleven at the time i think he's grown to like five one and a half now uh so he's grown Grown up, But man, back then, Billy's a short guy. So you got this giant guy and short guy and me kind of in the middle, uh, crazy characters in this room. Uh, and so we start thinking, what are we going to do with all these fireworks? We, we're just getting antsy. So Billy jumps in the shower, and Mike and I start having deep scientific conversations about what would happen if you lit a bottle rocket into a bathroom while someone was taking a shower? Like, What would that be like, you know, and uh, Billy's in there, poor guy, cleaning himself, minding his business, and uh, while we're out there planning his destruction, um, and so, you know, like any good scientist, we couldn't let the questions go unanswered, well, this is for the greater good of the world, we have to know what would happen, and so... We start lighting random fireworks and throwing them into the shower, uh, into the bathroom, throwing them over the shower, firecrack, pow, you know, poor Billy's in there screaming and falling and yelling. and, And we decided to make sure he couldn't get back out. So we took one of the mattresses off of the bed and we propped it up against the door. And we had a bungee cord. Every good party story has a bungee cord in it. And we had a bungee cord. I don't know why, but we had one. So we bungeed the mattress. Don't try this at home, kids. We bungeed the mattress to the door so we can control and open it but there's no way he could open it from the outside. And it was like 20 minutes of just chaos, throwing things in there, threw some smoke bombs in there. And like on the fifth smoke bomb, we realized that's probably not the healthiest thing right now. Like the firecrackers were any safer, but probably not healthy to be throwing smoke bombs in this shower uh, while this guy's in there breathing. Uh, we had a laugh. Of course, we trashed the room, burned the curtains and singed the carpet and made a big mess. Mike's dad paid for it. Sorry, Mr. Schumann, that we did that to you. But uh, at the end of the day, it makes for a killer party story. Us crazy characters making a mess, right? Not my proudest moment, but don't judge me like y'all don't act crazy from time to time. Uh, not my proudest moment, but it guarantees I'll have a party story that can one up just about anybody's story. After all, how many of you bungee corded a mattress to a bathroom door and threw firecrackers while someone was in there? Like that's kind of makes me, you know, I always have something to talk about, right? Uh, I hate small talk anyway, but I've got a cool story if I had to, to engage in it. The best party stories are crazy like mine, and they usually involve a lot of mess, and they usually involve messy people, right? I'm sure you can think in your own life of some stories that could top mine, they could triple uh, mine. We've all had moments in our life and our past that make for a good party story. But when you think about those stories, it's usually the characters who make the story great. And no character is too small in a good story. Think about the stories we love, the movies we watch, the books we read, the television shows we watch. It's the small characters who often play a huge role in the plot line. It's the best supporting actor, the best supporting actress. It's the person who's just on screen for a blip, and then we find out, wow, Everything really centered on the decision that they made. Star Wars is the talk of the town right now, right? We're in a movie theater showing Star Wars. In fact, Star Wars will be playing in this very theater in about an hour. Everyone's all into it and about it. Yes, I heard that one cheer back there. Um, We're crazy about it. But when you think about that universe, and even if you don't know anything about Star Wars as a movie, uh, I'm sure there's still small characters in that world that you know, man, there is no Star Wars. Could you imagine a Star Wars without R2-D2? That's the little robot that cusses all the time. They bleep out his, his words, right? Uh, th- th- what, what would Star Wars be without R2, right, in that movie? Such a small character, and yet he actually shows up right on time a lot of times. Listen, you might be here this morning, and you feel insignificant. You feel like you're just, life is just blah. Like, has no point. What am I doing? Like, you're going in circles. Maybe you're here and you've messed up big time. You feel like God has you in time out. Maybe you feel like you're just a bit player in life. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter what you've done, who you are, how young, how old, where you're from. It doesn't matter how far away from God you might think that you are. God is in the business of taking people who seem insignificant and using them for big purposes. At the heart of the Christmas story are small characters. In fact, that's our big idea today. God uses little people to play a big part in his story. He uses little people, small people who seem insignificant, messy, too broken, too messed up to be used. That's who God uses to play a big, big part in his story. So we're going to look in the Bible this morning, uh, just at some of these characters, the background characters to the Christmas story. Spoiler alert, Jesus is the main character, right? We, we, did, I, did we get that, right? It's about him. Christmas is about Jesus. We talked about that last week. So the story centers around him, uh, but there's so many other really cool characters that lead up to it and that are in the story that I think we can learn something from this morning. Looking at the characters of Jesus, it's important to look at the beginning. So last week, we, we looked at Matthew, Mark, and Luke and how they tell the story of, of Jesus. Mark doesn't really tell the story of Jesus' birth at all. John is where we were last week, and John starts all the way in the beginning. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Mark goes, excuse me, John goes way back to talk about Jesus' story. Let's look at Matthew and Luke this morning. They tell the same story from different angles, focus on some different things. So just kind of for a refresher, remember Matthew was a Jew, and he wrote to a Jewish audience to get them to believe that Jesus was the prophesied Messiah, the one talked about in Scripture. And so he traces Jesus' bloodline through his legal father, who was Joseph. Joseph wasn't his biological father. But Matthew gives this long list uh, in the very beginning of his book that kind of gives you the story of here's how Jesus came to be. Here's his ancestry, right? Luke, he was a Gentile, the only Gentile, non-Jewish person to write a book in the New Testament. And so Luke writes from the perspective of Mary's ancestral line. Both of them, though, give all of these random names, these characters uh, that made up the family tree of Jesus. So you can't tell the Christmas story without talking a little bit about the family tree of Jesus. Where did he come from? Who were his earthly Relatives, And you might say, what in the world does that have to do with anything about Christmas? Let me ask you, any of you have any crazy relatives? Those of y'all who didn't laugh, you're the one, I'm just telling you, right? You're the one everybody talks about because you're so, "Mm, I don't have any crazy relatives. Right now, you're the one that that we're talking about. Crazy, you know what I'm talking about. Cousin, that sister. Some of y'all came to church today, so you don't, because you know you got to deal with that person in a couple hours. So he said, "I might as well get some Jesus, because I got to be with this old crazy person for two hours tonight." Right? We got those. We don't even want to be around these people normal times, let alone the holiday, right? We're trying to celebrate life. Our family can be messed up. Our family can be really jacked up. In fact, you really want to go back. You can go to onechurch.tv, listen to last year's Christmas message. We did a message on four Christmases. We did a series called Christmas at the Movies. And that whole message, we talked about, man, the crazy family dynamic. When you think about even great Christmas movies, there's always that crazy family dynamic. We all have that one person we don't want to deal with because we know they're going to get drunk and start a fight or steal something or end up dancing on the table and falling down and just ruining everything, right? And again, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's you, right? Just just letting you know. We see all kinds of characters in our family story and what's really awesome and amazing about Jesus is his family is also full of people That you and I might not connect to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords. Some really jacked up people who did some really jacked up things. And yet, in telling the story of how Christ comes into the world, God includes them in these lists. There's people like Abraham and Isaac. You've heard about Abraham and Isaac, right? Great heroes of the faith. We read about their story in Genesis. Abraham, a great man of faith. Isaac was his son. Isaac had a son also named Jacob, two sons, Jacob and Isaac, but but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all busted up in their own right. Jacob uh, was kind of a, a swindler and a schemer, always getting into trouble, but Abraham and Isaac, on two different occasions, you can read about one in Genesis 12, one in Genesis 26, uh, for lack of a better word, Abraham and Isaac pimped out their wives to save their own skin. True story. They came across a ruler, a king, and they were so afraid because their wives were so hot, they basically said, "'Our wife, she's so beautiful.'" He's going to kill me and steal her. So I'm going to lie and say that you're my sister. That way they don't steal. It doesn't work. They still steal the sister and kind of crazy stuff. You can read it for yourself. But these are people, by the way, they end up being good guys in the end, Abraham and Isaac. But that's kind of messed up, isn't it? Like that's kind of messed up to do that to your wife. Jacob, who was Isaac's son. Jacob, he was a con artist, always swindling. He did his brother Esau really wrong. Jacob has 12 sons, and his sons... Uh, They just didn't get along, for for lack of a better word, especially with their youngest brother, Joseph. Uh, Now, you might have some uh, struggles in your house right now, mom and dad, you know, sibling rivalry, the kids won't stop fighting. Have you been there? You know what I'm talking about? seems like every time you turn around, they're arguing. Let's just have some perspective. Until your kids beat up the youngest and throw him in a well and make up a story that he was eaten by an animal and then sell him into slavery, you're doing pretty good, okay? Calm down. Life is not (laughs) that bad. That's what was happening in the household of Jacob, right? These guys were ruthless. They beat their brother up and sold him into slavery because they just didn't like him. Like, he didn't do anything wrong. They're like, we just hate him that much that we're going to get rid of him uh, if we can. These are Jesus' family members. This is crazy that happens. Um, Judah, he's one of those 12 brothers, uh, 12 sons of of Jacob. Judah, uh, he did something pretty twisted in Genesis 38. So there's this young lady named Tamar. And Tamar, her husband, died, and her brother-in-law disgraced her sexually. I'll let you read Genesis 38 to figure out what that was about. Um, And her father-in-law, Judah, he ends up getting Tamar pregnant because Tamar dressed up like a prostitute to teach Judah a lesson. Like, that sounds like some Jerry Springer tabloid nonsense, right? Not something straight from the Bible, but it is. Not surely something you don't want to talk about around the Christmas table. And yet, when you look in the Bible, you can't get to the Christmas story without hearing about their names. Fascinating. Messy. Broken. Busted up people. There's another one, kind of scandalous. Her name is Rahab. Any of you heard about Rahab? Rahab's story is found in uh, the book of Joshua. Rahab. Uh, Basically, in Joshua, there's these spies who are sent into this city called Jericho uh, to kind of do some recon. So these are soldiers, military types, sent into Jericho to do recon. Well, the soldiers, on their duty, they happen to end up in the house of Rahab, who happened to be a prostitute. Let y'all figure out what was going on right there, right? Anyway, they're in this house of the prostitute, and... Sure enough, she ends up giving them some intel, helping them, saving them. God honors her. And in Hebrews 11, Rahab's name is listed in this long list of all these great heroes of the faith. But she was a prostitute. What could God do with her? How could she be used? And yet we see her legacy forever there in Scripture. What about Bathsheba? You heard about Bathsheba? What a wild name, right? Bathsheba was taking a bath. Sorry for the dad joke there. I didn't mean to do it, but it's really easy. Bathsheba was taking a bath, and King David saw her taking a bath again, and David said I would like some of that and so David sent for her and David lays with her and she gets pregnant by the way Bathsheba's married to another dude not named David dude named Uriah David finds out she's pregnant and says I know what I'll do I'll kill Uriah and then I'll co- try to cover everything up and it's a hot mess of a story you can read about that in 2nd Samuel chapter 11 why am I talking about these crazy scandalous people cuz this is Jesus's family they're part of the Christmas story these are his ancestors These are the crazy uncles and great-grandparents that you you might not want to talk about. We see them right here in the Bible. You thought you had a crazy past, right? There's another person who wasn't scandalous, thank God, uh, named Ruth. And Ruth's story is interesting. She's part of Jesus' family. Ruth's story is interesting because Ruth came from a people, a race of people who hated God's people. They opposed the Jewish people all the time. And yet Ruth, she shows herself faithful to God, and God honors her by... She gets her name in the Bible, and great things happen through her story. You can read about the story of Ruth, wait for it, in the book of Ruth. Uh, Pretty cool. On the surface, all these people look like they shouldn't amount to anything, couldn't amount to anything, uh, yet God uses them to bring about the salvation of mankind. If God saw fit to save a bunch of prostitutes and and Criminals and thieves and murderers and scandalous people, don't ever tell me that someone is a lost cause. If I look at the family tree of the savior of the universe, and it's full of busted up, broken people, just like you, just like me, you can't tell me that God doesn't use little people to play a big part in his story. He does. So let's zoom in on the Christmas story, the actual Christmas story you may be familiar with. We'll start looking at Luke's version of it. uh, And we're going to see three Characters, three groups of people that they seemingly insignificant. How could God use them, and yet they are actually the stars of the show in more way than one. Let's start reading in Luke chapter one, verse twenty six. Says this: In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary, and she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of who? King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, "Greetings, favored woman. The Lord." Is with you. Now, there's a lot of things we can learn from Mary's life in just these couple of verses. We don't read a lot about Mary in the scripture. It's very limited what the Bible says about who she was, what she did, but she's in there. She's in the story all over the place if you look. And I think in the Christmas story, there's two big things we learn about her and how it connects to being a, a little character. First thing is that you're never too young to make an impact in the world. Now, I know we're primarily adults in this room, but you could take out the word young and say, you're never too old. You're never too broken. You're never too messy. You're never too busted up. Whatever qualifier you've been using as an excuse to not let God shine in your life, Mary's story is a prime example that you're never too young, too far off the, the, the path for God to use you. According to Hebrew culture, Uh, for Mary to be engaged, probably put her about 14 years old. Uh, Most scholars say she's about 14, 15. Between 14 and 17 is when young ladies would get engaged. So she's engaged to Joseph about 14 years old. What could God possibly do with a 14-year-old girl? Like That's what I think of when you first hear those stories. And sometimes we let things like age blind us and limit us to what God can do. I'm all about respecting elders and seeking to those who've gone farther down the path than me for wisdom, but we can't forget that the people who have yet to come, that next generation is also full of awesome potential, awesome insight, awesome wisdom. That's why I love that OneChurch.tv. We invest in our students. We invest in our kids' ministry. We don't believe that they are the future of the church. We believe that they are the church. So that's how we try to serve them right now, because you never know who that young child's going to be. And Mary, most people just look at her and write her off as 14 years old. What can she do? What could she amount to? And yet, When the angel of the Lord shows up in Mary's life, he says, you are favored and the Lord is with you. What had Mary done up to that point? Nothing. But by the grace of God, just because God saw fate, he says, you're favored and the Lord is with you. So we learn that you're never too young to make an impact. Mary's age had nothing to do with it. And then we learn that it takes courage and obedience to follow God's plan just from looking at Mary's life. People always talk about angels as being like these pretty creatures. Some of you have some pretty pictures, maybe of angels in your house. There's artists who draw little pictures of fat, chubby angels. And oh, look at the angels. So cute. Listen, read your Bible. People angels are mean looking. They're scary. How do I know? Because every time an angel shows up in the Bible, the angel says, fear not, or the angel has to say peace right? Basically, the angel, every time the angel shows up, it's like, hey, I'm not going to kill you today. Relax. Get off the ground. Like, stop freaking out. These are mighty, mighty creatures, and that's what this 14-year-old is encountering. Like, our, our image of this happening is some sweet little thing we saw in a Christmas movie of, oh, some bright, shining light. Now, this is a terrifying experience that she's going through. How do I know? Look at verse 29. Confused and disturbed, That's a lot of information to just drop on a little 14-year-old, isn't it? Like, out of nowhere. Hey, by the way, you're favored. God has chosen you. The Savior of the world is going to come through you. I know you're a virgin. Don't worry about that. We got that taken care of. Holy Spirit's going to make that happen. You're going to have this baby. Call him Jesus. I don't care that you want to name him after your uncle or your brother. Don't be calling him Rufus or, or Dante or any of that stuff. This is going to be Jesus, right? he's going to be the savior of the world. Just imagine, put yourself in the shoes that 14-year-old. Some of y'all when you were 14, like you couldn't remember to brush your teeth in the morning, like how am i supposed to take care of the savior of the world, right? Some of you got ready to go to church today and legit forgot that your child was still in the house. Oh yeah, I got to bring them too, right? 14 years old, the savior of the world's going to come through you. No pressure, Mary. I don't know about you. That's a big pill. I'm a grown man reading that thousands of years later, and I still have to read it seven times for the weight of what this angel is telling her to do. She knew what would happen. If anyone found out she was pregnant before she got married, their culture said, kill her. Like, stone her. Kill her. Or at best, break off the engagement, and she has to live her life in shame and outcast. I don't know about you, but I would be freaking out if I was married. And yet... Her reply is powerful. I don't know if you highlight your Bible. If you use the Bible app, you know you can highlight it, but this is one of those verses I think everyone should highlight. Verse 38, here's Mary's response. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you said about me come true. And the angel left her. All that news gets dropped on this 14-year-old, insignificant, out-of-nowhere character. And she responds in the only way we should respond to God. I am your servant. Yes, Lord. Whatever you said, let it happen to me. I'll do it. That's courage. That's, that's boldness. And we don't see this coming from some hyper-religious person. We don't see this coming from somebody who's got it all together. This is just a girl graced by God, 14 years old, that God says, I'm with you and I'm going to use you. What do we do with the Marys of today today? Sadly, we cast them aside like they're going nowhere. We don't see the potential in a 14-year-old. We don't see the potential in in a young pregnant girl. We don't see the potential sometimes in a a youngster and someone whose life may be going a path we we may not be comfortable with. And yet, how does God choose to bring the Savior of the universe into the world through this unorthodox way? Through Mary. There's a lot of reasons he did that, but I believe he did it to show us that his ways aren't our ways and that there is no, he can use anybody to fulfill his purposes. He uses people like Mary who seem insignificant, and he uses outcasts like shepherds. The shepherds play a cool part in this story. They were the lowest on the totem pole in the ancient Near East. In biblical times, the shepherds, they couldn't keep up with the ritual cleansing and all of the dietary stuff necessarily, and so they didn't get to go to temple. They were out in the fields with their with their flocks. So they were isolated. They were dirty. They were unclean. They were alone. They were kind of roughneck people that most of society wanted to avoid. Like the worst thing a dad could hear is, hey, dad, here's this shepherd boy that I want to marry. Like that was not a a good look back in those days. Yet of all the people that God could have, told first about the arrival of Jesus, the birth announcement that the Savior of the world has come. Of all the people he could have come to, he doesn't go to the rich. He doesn't go to the affluent. God doesn't go to the political rulers of the day. Guess who God uses to set the standard for Christian ministry? Outcasts. Shepherds. We read their story in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. It says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Didn't I tell you about these angels, right? They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to who? All people. That means the outcast, the disenfranchised, the one that no one cares about. All people, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what happened and what the angel had said about them, about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. The first people we see going and spreading the good news, the gospel, that there's a Savior that God has come for all people, guess who it is? It's not some preacher in a fancy suit. It's not some biblical scholar. It's a bunch of outcasts. They're the first people who run and go and tell everyone Jesus has been born. Salvation is here. Verse 19, But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. God uses little people to play a big part in his story. He uses a 14 year old girl to bring about the Savior of the world. He uses a bunch of outcast shepherds to be the first ones to not just hear that Jesus is born, but to actually go and do ministry and tell people this great news. I wish we had a lot of time to dig into these guys, but we don't. The, the third group of, of characters are the, the, the Magi, the wise men. Have you heard of them? Of course you have. Who were they? They were actually pagan astrologers from what is now the country of Iran. It's the part of the world that they were from. They basically, they studied the skies. They practiced medicine and natural sciences. They were in constant search of truth. Of all the characters in this story, these guys would be my friends because these were the nerds. Like these were the guys whose their heads were in the books and they had their degrees and they loved to ask tough questions and explore and run experiments. I'm like, yes, those are my people, my tribe. Right. You know, uh, they probably played. No, they didn't have video games, but they were playing them if they did have them. Right. These kids, these were nerdy seeker guys in search of truth, in search of the newest thing, the newest idea. They weren't Jewish. They didn't believe necessarily in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Their story is found in Matthew chapter 2. It says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. So this is Matthew's version. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to what? Worship him. That's a big leap. So what's happening here is you have these seekers looking for truth, and as they look for truth, they're studying different religions, they're studying science, they're studying the earth, they're running all their experiments, they're playing with their medicine, they're doing all their stuff, and they stumble upon Hebrew scriptures, probably the book of Isaiah, and they read these prophecies about the Messiah to come, and and they start reading all these prophetic books, and they start, Micah, they start making the connection between this star and what they've read, and they determine this has to be the Messiah. This has to be the Savior of the world. This has to be the king of the universe. We're going to go and see him. They were so impacted by what they'd seen that they risked life and limb and finances to go see the new king born Savior of the world. I know Christians who've been Christians for 20 years, they won't risk getting the sniffles to come to church if it's too cold outside. And these guys risked everything. They didn't know God like we know God. They didn't have the Bible like we have the Bible, but they were so impacted by what they saw, they risked everything to go and find him and see him and worship him. They weren't Jewish. They weren't churchy. They weren't religious by any definition we would think of right now. And yet, look who God reveals this awesome truth that a Savior is born to. Some seekers. People who are far from God, that's who God shows. So before we even get three chapters into the gospel of Matthew or the gospel of Luke, we have laid out for us Jesus's messy family tree, 14-year-old pregnant girl, outcast shepherds, and a bunch of people far from God into their science, into their search for knowledge. And yet, that's who God shows up to first. Don't tell me you have to have it all together. I don't see that in the Bible. Don't tell me you have to be perfect to follow Jesus. We don't see that when we look at the Christmas story. We see a Savior loving us enough to send his son to the broken for the broken. Where are you at in this Christmas story? Which one of those characters do you identify with the most? Some of you might feel like Mary. You feel unqualified. Who am I? What could God do with me? Maybe you feel like a shepherd and you've believed the lie that you're too rough around the edges. You've got some bad habits in your life. And so you think that, I'll just stay away from from this God thing. Maybe you're like those seekers, those skeptics. You, you you, You just have a lot of confidence in your logic and your science and your rational thought. And it just doesn't connect with this faith stuff. And so you stay away from church. So many times I hear people say, I'm not good enough. I don't know enough Bible. All I know. Is that when I look at the story of Christmas, I see God showing up to who many of us are, who many of us were. People desperately in need of a savior who's willing to come and reach us. And that's what God does. When God tells the story of how Christ came to earth, he chose to tell it through a group of people who seem small, who seem insignificant, who seem far from God. And yet they play a huge part in his story. Let me encourage you that you have a part too. You have a part in that story. It's what I love about our church, that we know that we don't want to make it hard for people to come to God, that we realize we are the mess that Jesus came to save, and so we want to reach everybody. How do we live it out? Real quick, three things that we can do uh, to, to, to live out this Christmas story more than ever. We talked about this last week, and I'll just reiterate it again today. First thing is we have to make Christmas a party. Make Christmas a party. Celebrate the gift of Jesus. If you haven't said yes to Jesus, take a step towards him today. Celebrate that gift that he came to save us, to make all things new in our life. Celebrate the gift of family, right? Celebrate. Don't complain. So when drunk Uncle Rufus is on his 12th beer and falls down again, you can just thank God for the ministry that you get to do to help your drunk uncle, right? Celebrate. Celebrate the gift of life. Second thing is this. If we're here and we've said yes to Jesus, let's go to the messy. This week. Let's find those messy people we know and bring them with us. Next week, we kick off a brand new series about getting our life in order, getting our life together. You don't want to miss it. Don't wait. Don't be that person telling us how 2018 is going to be your year. You said that last year. It didn't change anything. You're not fooling anybody. Don't waste the last week of 2017 talking about what you're going to do. I dare you to do something. Invite someone. Bring someone with you next Sunday so we can take those bold steps. Right now, we can finish the year. Strong. And then finally, be light to the seeker. Someone's looking for hope. They're looking for truth. They're looking for Jesus. And they're going to see it in us. That's why we just, how do I live it out practically? Just do the things we've talked about all year at onechurch.tv. Be a part of community. Serve those who need help. Invest and invite in the people already in your life. Be Jesus where you are. Share your story where you are. And you'll be amazed at how God will use you. God uses little people play a big part in his story. I pray that we would leave here making a big deal about this Christmas story, celebrating the party that is God coming to save us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the power of your word. Help us to live for you, to trust in you alone. God, I pray that no matter who we are in this room, if we've never said yes to you, that today would be the day we say, God, forgive me, help me. I've tried to do it on my own for too many times. God, I pray that you would invade the space of those God who are running from you and instead invite them into a relationship with you. Let them take a step towards you. For those of us here who love you, who live for you, God, I pray that we would make a big deal about the Christ of Christmas, not just this time of year, but all throughout the year. But since it is this time of the year, God, let us embrace you, embrace the truth of who you are for us. Help us to be bold and living for you and loving others. Thank you, God, that you saw fit to use us, help us to do our part in living out who we are in your story. We love you in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's sing.